Well, let's turn to the scriptures. And we're going to be uh, looking at the life of King Joash this evening. Now, I wonder if uh, you are somebody who loves a fresh start. Do you love a, a fresh start? I remember when I was at school, I wasn't the best of behaved children. And uh, I used to look forward to the new school year when I'd have a new teacher and I could shed my reputation from the year before. Uh, maybe you love having a new job, new work opportunities, new colleagues to meet. And uh, nationally, perhaps we love it when there's a new government in place. We get tired after four years, don't we, of the policies which never came to pass and the bad decisions that have been made. And we vote in a new government and we love a new start and we put our hope in the government that they will change things compared to what was happening before. And in chapter 24 of 2 Chronicles, we have recorded for us here a new start in the southern kingdom of Judah. And it describes for us the reign of this young king, Joash. Now, there are a couple of kings that come to the throne at a very young age in uh, the kingdom of Judah. One of them is Josiah. He's often more well-known. Uh, but here we have the record of the reign of King Joash, who was seven years old when he became king. Now, the, the backstory of how Joash became king is a fascinating tale. It's recorded for us in chapter 23. Now, before uh, Joash became king, there had been 15 years of apostate and evil rulers in the kingdom of Judah. It began with Joash's grandfather, Jehoram. He reigned for eight years in Judah, and he turned away from the Lord because he married Athaliah. Who was Athaliah? Well, she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And she was a Baal-worshipping woman who sought to turn her husband away from the Lord, and she succeeded. And so Jehoram was an evil king. Then following Jehoram was his son Ahaziah, and Athaliah also influenced her son Ahaziah to turn away from the Lord. And so Ahaziah ruled for one year, and then when Ahaziah died, Athaliah systematically went and killed Ahaziah's sons, most likely her own grandchildren, one by one, in an effort to establish her own rule over the kingdom of Judah. And it seemed like Athaliah succeeded. And as is often the case of the history of God's people, when it seems that evil has triumphed over God's people, God is working in secret. And that's what happened with this little baby Joash. He was rescued from the murderous clutches of Athaliah and brought to the temple where he was adopted by the chief priest Jehoiada and his wife Jehoshabeth. And there, for six years, they raised Joash in secret. And in the end of those six years, they overthrow Athaliah and establish Joash as the rightful ruler of Judah. In the coronation service, Joash covenants with the people 
that he will be a king who serves and honors the Lord. He will be a king who will be faithful to the covenant. And so we enter chapter 24. And all seems well. In fact, things are very good in Judah in the first half of chapter 24. What happens? Well, Jehoiada, the stepfather or the adoptive father, I should say, of Joash, uh, gives Joash two wives. And no, no doubt Jehoiada was aware of the mistakes of Jehoram in, in marrying Athaliah. And so he chooses godly wives for, for Joash. And Joash has sons and daughters. But once his family is established, Joash begins the great work of his reign. And in verse 4, we're told this. Now, it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. Now, why did Joash do this? Well, for 15 years, there had been no temple offering. Now, I know you're in rented accommodation here, but I understand you had a building at one point, and uh, any church that owns a building knows that over time, if you don't put a lot of money into a building, it will soon decay. It will soon fall into disrepair. And with all of the taxes, not going now to the temple, but to these evil rulers and their campaigns and their pagan worship, the temple had gradually fallen into disrepair, and perhaps no one in Judah knew that more than Joash who spent the first six years of his life smelling the damp, the mould on the walls, seeing the cracks in the plaster, stumbling over the stones that had fallen from the different parts of the temple as it fell into disrepair over time. Verse 7 tells us too also that the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. So the, the actual uh, temple structure was in disrepair and all of the articles needed for the worship of the Lord had been plundered and it had been physically and forcibly broken into by those servants of Athaliah. And so Joash sets his heart on repairing the temple. And there's this theme that runs through 1 and 2 Chronicles that the state of the temple, the state of the house of God, represents the state of the relationship of God's people to God. So here Joash has covenanted to serve the Lord, and he goes about this great work of repairing the temple of God. And he tells the priests to go out and to collect an offering to restore the temple. But they seem to delay. They take their time. And Joash remonstrates with his Adoptive father Jehoiada and says, why have you uh, not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses? And he urges them to get on with the work and they do it and they put a chest out before the temple and the people give in abundance. They dig deeply into their pockets to restore the temple, both the people 
and the leaders of Judah are all involved in this work. How zealous Joash is. How, how generous the people are. And so we're told that the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. The structure was repaired and strengthened and then there was sufficient money gathered that they could actually uh, restore all of the articles for the temple worship to take place. They made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. So well, so good. So far, so good. But I wonder if you noticed as Ian read this chapter, a foreboding verse at the beginning of chapter 24. A verse which casts a dark shadow over the rest of the life of Joash and even over this great work that he undertook. Look at what the chronicler tells us in verse 2. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Did you see that? There's a qualification. There's a condition attached to Joash's faithfulness. Then look at the end of this second half of the chapter, uh, this first half of the chapter, I should say. Look at verse 14. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Now, why does the chronicler tell us that? Well, I believe it's because he wants us to know this about Joash. Joash's religion, Joash's godliness was not the product of a work of grace in his heart, but the product of his environment, the influence of Jehoiada around him. We talk about the nature versus nurture debate, don't we? Is it your genes? Is it your upbringing? What makes you who you are? The question we have as we look at Joash's life is, did this man, did he have a new nature from God? Or was his godliness simply the product of his nurture, the upbringing he had? And I think the chronicler is telling us here that ultimately, despite all of Joash's great achievements, his religion, his Christianity, was the product not of a regenerated heart, but of his environment. And I want to ask you this evening, as we look at the life of Joash, is your Christianity... Is your zeal for God, is your godliness the product of people around you? Parents, a godly husband or wife, 
friends here at church? Is it the product of those things or is it the product of a regenerated heart, a heart changed by the grace of God? Well, as we go through the second half of this chapter, we're going to look at five steps that Joash takes away from the Lord. And I want us to do two things as we consider these steps. Firstly, I hope that as we look at them, perhaps there are those here who may recognize at the end that I can identify with Joash and actually my Christianity is simply the product of external things and not a work of grace. And then you might seek the Lord for that work of grace in your hearts. But also these steps should serve for us who profess to be Christians as a warning. Lest we follow in Joash's footsteps. The scripture says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And here's Joash, more zealous for the work of God than probably many of us here. And yet, tragically, his life ends in apostasy and disaster. So let's consider these five steps. And then we're going to see how all this passage ultimately directs us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first step that Joash took away from the Lord's was that he ceased listening to the Word of God. He ceased listening to the Word of God. Now, how do we know that Joash ceased listening to the Word of God? Well, verse 15 tells us this. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Jehoiada, as we've mentioned, was a godly chief priest. And the role of the chief priest and the priesthood was to instruct the king in the law of God. And Jehoiada did this faithfully. He led the overthrow of Athaliah. He established Joash upon the throne of Judah. He faithfully taught this young child the word of God. But Jehoiada died. In God's providence, Jehoiada died. At this point, Joash had an option. Joash could replace Jehoiada. Joash could seek to appoint a chief priest who was faithful to the Lord. We know that there were priests who were faithful because later we read about Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, who spoke the word of the Lord and the prophets who came to him. But there's no record here of Joash appointing another chief priest, another godly teacher of the law. And so, at the death of Jehoiada, Joash ceases to listen to the word of God. This is often the first step, but a man or woman who professes to be a Christian takes as they begin 
on a tragic journey away from the Lord. How often a young person who is raised in a godly home and comes to a faithful Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, in God's providence, they move away to a different city, perhaps to go to university, And they have an option. Do I seek out godly companions? Do I seek a gospel preaching church which will convict me of my sins and point me to Christ? Or do I seek out a church perhaps that tickles my ears, that entertains me? Or do I simply stop listening to the word of God? It's very easy to do this. It's very easy to steadily and slowly neglect the hearing of the preaching of God's word. We've known that in the last couple of years, haven't we? Perhaps you know of people who once professed a lively faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and now they seem to have grown cold because they ceased listening to the word of God. Now, there's another step that Joash takes, another step he takes away from the Lord, and that is this, he listens to the counsel of the ungodly. He listens to the counsel of the ungodly. And what we'll see as we move through this second half of the chapter is what we have here is Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, in reverse, The psalmist says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And that is a description of a progression that someone takes as they go further from the Lord. And this is the description that we have here of Joash. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. The king listened to them. I want you to notice that it is in this void of the word of God in Joash's life that the leaders of Judah come to him. The leaders of Judah want Joash to institute the worship of the Canaanite gods. Why? Because it seems there was much more sensuality. Well, there was sensuality in the worship of these Canaanite gods. And these leaders of Judah wanted to turn uh, Judah back to the pagan worship, away from the worship of the lords, satisfy the lusts of their flesh. But I want you to notice how they approach King Joash. They did not come to him and say to Joash, Turn away from the Lord and worship the wooden images. No. Why? Because we all know what Joash would have said at that point, don't we? (laughs) I have spent 20 years of my reign restoring the house of the Lord. And you dare to come to me and tell me to turn away from the God of Israel? I will never do such a thing. But that's not how Satan tempts us, is it? That's not how sin speaks to our hearts to captivate us. Look what they do when they come to Joash. They do not outright call him 
to apostatize from the Lord. They bow down to him. The leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. You can imagine the scene. Joash is emotionally vulnerable. He's lost his adoptive father. He's spiritually vulnerable because he's not listening to the word of God. And then these important political figures come, people of importance in society, and they they begin to stroke Joash's back and tell him what a good king he is. They bow down to him. They begin to make him feel good about himself. They lift up his heart in pride. And when Joash's heart is flattered and his affections are captured, he listens to their counsel. This is how sin comes to us. People do not just suddenly start listening to the advice of the ungodly and obeying it straight away. There's a process that takes place in the heart first. Perhaps it's a colleague at work and you're a single person and you get on well with this colleague and uh, they begin to tell you what a great person you are, how well you get on together and then your affections start to get captured, captivated by this individual and they're not a Christian, you know that it's, it's, it's wrong according to the word of God to, be, to marry someone who's not a believer they make you feel good. Soon you start to listen. And your heart becomes entangled. And then actions follow. And our bank accounts are doing well. Our investments are doing well. Life is comfortable. It flatters us, doesn't it? Sin comes to us and says, you are sufficient for yourself. You've done very well. You don't need the Lord. And very easily our hearts are puffed up and we begin to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. The message of the world is that you are great. You're not sinful. You're good at heart. You can decide your identity. You can decide what's right and wrong. You don't need to listen to this old book anymore. And it puffs up our hearts. And we begin to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Well, the next step in Joash's walk away from God is this. Thirdly, he stands in the path of sinners. He follows the conduct of the ungodly. Verse 18 tells us this, Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Do you see that? What did they leave? They left the very thing that it just seemed a few years ago they were zealously pursuing. They left the house of the Lord God of their fathers. And you read this passage and you think, how can it be that someone so zealous for the house of God so soon, so suddenly it seems, turn 
to worshipping idols? And the answer is, by small steps. By ceasing to listen to the word of God. By listening to the counsel of the ungodly. Eventually, we stand in the path of sinners. When you hear of a Christian who turns away from the Lord and falls into some great moral sin without any repentance, you can be sure that there was a process that took place in the heart. It wasn't a sudden thing. The conduct followed. And that's what happened here, tragically, to Joash. Now, verse 19 tells us the next step in his walk away from the Lord. Number four, he refused to listen to rebuke. He refused to listen to rebuke. Yet he sent prophets to them bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. How gracious the Lord is. Despite the base ingratitude of Joash in turning to idols and rejecting all that he'd been given, even his very life being saved by the gracious power of God and plan of God, yet God is gracious to Joash. God sends messengers, prophets to plead with this king and the leaders of Judah to turn back to the Lord. When we get a window into God's heart, the wayward Christian professors, don't we? And how we should seek a brother or sister who wonders. And how we should be grateful when God in his mercy speaks to us. When we are wandering away through the proclamation of the word or through the gentle rebuke of a brother or sister in Christ. But what was the response of Joash and the leaders of Judah? They would not listen. They would not listen. Now, why is that? Well, Psalm 115 tells us this about those who give themselves over to idolatry. And whilst we may not be serving Canaanite gods today, the temptation is all around us to idolize sexuality, to idolize money, to idolize popularity and fame and our image online. Psalm 115 tells us what happens when we give ourselves over to idolatry. Verse 3 tells us this, But our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Ears they have, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throats. Then listen to this. Those who make them are like them. 
so is everyone who trusts in them. If we turn from the Lord and pursue these idols, then eventually there comes a point when we can't hear the voice of God anymore. We refuse to listen to the voice because we harden our hearts. And that's what's happening here in Joash's life. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. David says in Psalm 32, for this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when he may be found. God is always findable. He's always near. We know that from Scripture. But that's talking about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And there are particular occasions in our life when we are wandering from God and God speaks to us and we have a time when God may be found. And I wonder if there's somebody here tonight and you know in your heart you're straying from the Lord and the Lord is speaking to you to come back to Him. Don't lose that window of opportunity. Seek the Lord today because there will be a time when He cannot be found. And we know that because of Joash and the leaders of Judah here who refuse to listen. Well, fifthly and lastly, the last step in this turning from the Lord is that Joash scoffed at the word of God. Joash scoffed at the word of God. Remember Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And this is the last tragic step. Despite Joash's hardening of hearts, the Lord is gracious again to Joash. He sends Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada and the adoptive brother of Joash. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the prophet Zechariah in verse 20. And he stands above the people and says to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? What a loving and tender entreaty to this wayward people of God. He's actually just quoting a portion of Deuteronomy, which basically says, if the people of God forsake the law of God, there is no way they can prosper. And here, Zechariah is saying, you're never going to prosper rejecting the Lord. Come back to Him, and you will prosper in your soul. You will prosper in your life. Is God speaking to you this evening? You've believed the lie that to turn from the Lord will prosper you. That the world has something better than what we find promised in Scripture for those who know and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I put the question to you? Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? What was Joash's response to this tender, gracious entreaty? Well, in the very house of God that he'd spent many years restoring, 
in the very house of God, in fact, where they refused to kill Athaliah, this wicked woman, Joash gives the order that his own brother should be stoned. Because we get to a point, if we keep going in this path, where we not only cease to listen to the Word of God, but we cannot stand the Word of God. We scoff at the Word of God. We do everything we can to silence the voice of God burning in our conscience. And so Joash, the apostate king, orders the stoning of this faithful man, Zechariah. Chronicler tells us this in verse 22. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. After all that Jehoiada had done, after all the mercy that had been shown to Joash, yet he, in base ingratitude, kills his own father's son. In his death, Zechariah cries out, the Lord look on it and repay. And it is a prophetic word. It is a word of judgment upon Joash and that judgment comes to pass. God swiftly brings an end to the life of Joash, partly through the Syrians who come in a little band. And ironically, the gods that the Israelites had turned to were the gods of war but they were defeated by this little Syrian band. And then he is executed by his own servants, finally. And this ultimately is the fate of those who reject the Lord. It is judgment. I want you to imagine that you were a Jew, a faithful Jew living at this time. And I want you to just begin to sense the utter disappointment of this whole period. You know, the, the fresh start is there. Things are improving in Judah. Uh, uh, people are returning to the Lord. And you, you love the Lord. You love his word. You love the promise of the coming Savior. You love the king. And the king that you were hoping in forsakes the Lord and becomes unfaithful. The, the priest who you hoped would continue and continue, he dies. And the prophet who speaks God's word is silenced in death, never to speak the word of God again. And would there not have been a longing in their hearts for a priest whose priesthood would continue forever. For a faithful king who would never turn his back upon the Lord and upon his house. And for a prophet who could not be held by death. Well, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is that prophet Death could not hold him, and he speaks, doesn't he, today through his words. He ever preaches to us graciously 
calling us through the gospel to himself. He is that king who is always faithful, never turning from the Lord, reigning forever on the throne of David. He is that priest who gave himself for us and now ever lives to make intercession for us. And you may be here tonight, and you may say, I wonder if my Christianity is the product of my environment like Joash, or whether it's the product of the work of grace in my soul. Well, I want you to know this. This promised king, this promised prophet and priest is doing something now in heaven. And Peter tells us what that is in Acts chapter 5. He says in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Go to the Lord Jesus. Ask of him, a new heart. Ask him, Lord Jesus, you have said in your word that now is our exalted king. You will give repentance to Israel. Change my heart. Make me a real Christian. Forgive my sins. Did you notice in closing What Zechariah cried as they killed the son of the one who'd given him life. The Lord look on it and repay. It is the words of judgment in the old covenant. Fair words. What were the words of the son of the one who gave his life as he died upon the cross? Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the Lord Jesus offers that forgiveness and grace, whether to Christians who have strayed or to those who have never known a regenerating work of God. We can look to him to keep us, not only to save us, We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It searches our hearts and it sobers us. And we plead with your Lord our God that you would turn our hearts away from the counsel of the ungodly, that you would give us ears to hear your word. We pray for a genuine work of grace in our souls, that we might not simply be the product of godly people around us, but we might know the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. We pray that here for young and for old. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us in these days so many temptations, so many snares, Oh, Lord, our God, please, by your grace, keep our eyes looking to our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep us confident in that perfect prophet, priest, and king who is able to save, to keep, 
and to glorify us. For we pray this in his name. Amen.